I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Serve Remember Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma Hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Dass, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Welcome to Lama Surya Das's Awakening Now podcast. We are very pleased to share with you Lama's unique illumination of the awakened awareness teachings. If you are interested in supporting Lama Surya Das's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/suryadas. So, as promised, I want to give the uh, six Tibetan mindfulnesses, just to, for the record, for the red, white, and blue annals of uh, Buddhism in the West. I'm more partial to this kind of scheme about thinking how we can develop our mindfulness practically, first cultivating and developing what's natural and innate in us, attention and all, and then stabilizing it from intermittent to really stable to totally interpenetrative or integral, integrated with everything mindfulness, to really big mind, Buddha mind, total awareness, to innate wakefulness, dharmakaya awareness, kind of God's mind, which is hard to describe, Buddha mind. Dharmakaya awareness. But now I want to talk about the six kinds of mindfulness. And I'm not going to give the Tibetan names, but it won't help if I do with this context. So I just want to say that this is from the Tibetan tradition. This is my own original, I mean, not really original, this is my thinking. This is called the six drempas, if you're a student of Tibetan Buddhism. Remembrances, recollections, or mindfulness. First, mindfulness of the path. To remember the path, the Eightfold Path, the spiritual path, that we're on a path in life, that it's a journey, not just what we can get, not just a goal, not just arriving. You know, notion of path path-seeking, path-finding, journey, and so forth. And not to be very uh, so linear or like fixated on, on uh, finishing something. You know, it's an infinite journey, the spirit. It's not just an enlightenment weekend or a pill. It's a spiritual life, not just a spiritual retreat that we're interested in. A spiritual life, I hope, 
I think. A sacred life, a better world, not just a quickie. Mindful of the path or the journey. And second, recollection. Instead of mindfulness, I'm going to use some of the cluster definitions of it. Recollection of the view, the bigger picture, wisdom. That maybe there's a bigger picture than our thoughts. Not just left brain concepts, but also what about the right brain? I mean, even that is just in our head. What about the rest of life? What about the heart, the soul, the psyche, the mystery of life? So the bigger picture, the infinite. I mean, what words can encompass this? Can F the ineffable? So keeping that in mind, it helps me a lot in the sense of like, I notice that my opinions are getting smaller and smaller as my view gets bigger. I mean, my opinions and my head is swelling, definitely. And, you know, as you get older, you get to know it all and been there and done that. I mean, me, but maybe not you. But still, I realize, you know, if I knew everything about one of these issues, I might have a very different opinion. For example, the Middle East. We all have a lot of perhaps strong opinions about the Middle East. But if we knew everything there was to know about it, origins and future implications, we might have quite a different opinion. I mean, many of us in America, we don't even know much about history, not to mention other things in other countries, right? And other religions and other cultures and what how we colonial powers are implicated in dividing up those people and are now fighting each other. Just as an example. So recollecting the view, there is a bigger view. Or like, there's always another side to it. This is kind of Buddhism's middle way, Madhyamika, the great middle way of balance and appropriateness, the middle way. Not too tight, not too loose. As Buddha said, well-tuned like the strings of a sitar or guitar. Not too tight, not too loose. And I think balance is the right word for us, or appropriateness today. Not to be overly extreme or overly moderate. You know, moderation should also be taken in moderation. <laughs> you know, we don't all have to be the same. Or like cream cheese or vanilla ice cream. There's also blue cheese and nutty cheese and a lot of other things in the cheese department. So the view, the bigger picture, very helpful. As, as somebody said once, um, one of my wise teachers, I said something like, I think we really covered that, and I really understand that. And he said, well, then there's the other side. You know, it was like cooking. <laughs> yes, we're done. Now we could turn it over. There's a whole other side we haven't got to yet. He didn't have anything in particular in mind, but it was very good. It was like, you think you're done? There's a lot more, no doubt. Even Buddha said, who people will, I think, wrongly translate as omniscient. Anybody read that word? I don't think Buddha said he was omniscient. And he probably didn't know, um, I don't know, French or computer language. But he knew everything there was needed to know about how to become enlightened, they say. Anyway, even Buddha said, what I have taught and what I have you know, seen or showed you was like this handful of leaves in this forest of leaves. So I think uh, that's how little we know. So keep in mind the bigger, there's always a bigger picture, another side to the story, or a hundred other sides to the story. 
even eyewitnesses all have their own different story of the same thing, as we know. Third, <clears throat> remindfulness of meditation. Remembering to remember to be mindful, to pay attention, to be present, to be focused, maybe to do a little less multitasking and a little more penetrating focus. I mean, we all multitask all the time. Let's not be naive. It's impossible to do one thing at a time. Our bodies themselves are multitasking. But it's not necessarily a problem. It's whether it's too much. When we drive, we have to multitask. But too much multitasking produces accidents, right? Like texting and reading the text while you're shaving, drinking your wappuccino and driving a little too much. Just driving, you have to multitask and look in the rearview mirror and look in front and use your foot and your leg and your foot and your, you know, beep the horn and flip the bird and put up the window, punch, you know, that's normal. Besides breathing and thinking and singing and, you know, choosing your you know, satellite station, and that's just normal. So remindfulness of meditation, or how about mindful awareness, being present, presence of mind in the present moment to what we're doing. In other words, keeping our priorities straight. When you're driving, the driving is on the front burner, listening to music or other things, second and third. So keeping straight with that. And when our mind wanders, using the leash of remindfulness to come back to what we're doing that's on the front burner. And fourth, recollection of the instructions or personal guidance that you may have gotten, like from a teacher or your, your meditation course or instructor or whatever it is, um, personal guidance like from your parents, you know, whoever your mentors are, that maybe is not in every book in the world on the subject. Because spiritual life is intimate and personal, if it's anything. You know, it's like your shoes. They have to fit your feet. Just because Italian shoes are the best doesn't mean I can wear them. You with me? Just because French food might be the best doesn't mean it's for me. So, recollecting the instructions, as we say in the Zogatian, the pith instructions, like the essence instructions, not the 84,000 dharmas, the pithy instructions, I like to call them. The PIs. You know, it's hard to learn to tie your shoes when you're a kid from a book. We have to get the pith instructions from somebody. Yes? The rabbit goes into the hole and over the carrot or something. That's been a long time. It's hard to learn from a book. So remembering the tips and pointers that we've gotten that really help us that should never be forgotten. Not that you have to sing that song every time, but you don't want to have to ask somebody again about how to tie your shoe five years later. You don't. It's contraindicated. Fifth, recollection of the Sangha, the virtues and beauty of community, and that they're there to help us. Kindred spirits on the way, that it's almost impossible to do it alone. See, these are Tibetan mindfulnesses to be remember community and remember the path and remember the practice and remember the bigger picture and remember to pay attention. So this is recollection of sangha, of community, of kindred spirits. 
of love, of, if you like, of sharing, of belonging. It's very supportive to remember this. It's not like you owe it to them. We want to feel connected and belong and part of it and that we're not alone and others have gone before and this is a tried and true, well-traveled way. And we're kind of drafting behind the people in the yellow shirts in front like Buddhist monks who are bicycle racers, if you get my image. And we're drafting along in their wake. Yellow shirts, anybody? Recollection of the Sangha, which includes the lineage and the Buddhas and also Sangha around us. And I'm hurrying a little because I want to complete this and get to the questions. But sixth, here's a subtle one. Recollection of the, and how to translate this is very difficult. Because Buddhism like, doesn't like to pin things down or affirm things too much and fix, reify them. Recollection of the birthplace, the origin, the ground, the source, where everything comes from and returns to, or the bigger context. Like the, One of life's big questions is where do we come from? What, where do we go when we die? Where did this world come from? So this is a kind of a way of staying in touch with the root, not fighting with or chasing after the branches and the nuts and flakes at the ends of the branches, but getting to the trunk, tracing the radiance of all of our projections back to the source of all the radiance from a meditative point of view, tracing the radiance of all of our projections and karmic perceptions back to the source of the radiance from a meditator's point of view. As the Tibetan masters say, don't be like a dog chasing after every bone that's thrown. Be more like a lion that jumps on the thrower. <laughs> I know this is not very ahimsa, but it's just a meditation <laughs> metaphor. Don't chase everything that comes. Look at the thrower. Jump on the thrower. That's, you know, don't go chasing a little bone. Jump on the meat. I mean, if you're a Tibetan, it makes sense. You know. They ate meat. <laughs> So recollection of the source, the ground, what word could we use here? Where it's all coming from, origin. In Tibetan, it's nay. It's one syllable, so it's very open to interpretation. The place, where it's at. The center, the source, the spring of life, the origin. You know, it's like if you look at the movies and you introduce to children, you know, it's not just on the screen. You see that that path of light, look back at where it's coming from, the projector. And it's a whole system, you know. What exactly is the source of life? What is the source of life? Good question. I don't know. Are you from India? Yes, I am. You must know. Tell us. (laughs) (laughs) We should remember it. I didn't say I know what it is. I haven't remembered yet. can't remember. What is the source of life? Of course, it's a huge, evergreen question. Are you asking me? Yes. Yes. This is the source of life. This, this is the Alpha and Omega. I think. There's a Tibetan Buddhist saying about this, evergreen question. Of course, everybody asks these things. I have a whole book called The Big Questions and How to Find Your Own Answers to Life's Essential Mysteries where I talk about 14 great questions of life. I don't really give answers. I I give a lot of other 
traditions and people's answers and then make some speculations. But it's about how to find these answers or intuitions yourself. Um, Tibetans say life or this world began, begins in ignorance and ends in enlightenment. That's like a Buddhist thing, just process thinking. It's like we're kind of, you know, we really don't know, but that's part of the ignorance. And in the end, you become more like omniscient Buddha. I'm not selling omniscience here. I'm saying you get more super knowledge or wise or um, less mystified, even though a lot of this is a mystery. I hope that's helpful. So some say it comes from the one or the oneness. That's not a bad answer. Of course, you could wonder about that. One what? What made the one? You know, but you're an intelligent person. I know you've thought about these things. Some say uh, karma makes the world go round. Karma is the creator in our relative sense. Karma makes the world go round. It all comes from karma, or it is karma. It's as cyclical. There's no comes from beginning point like breathing out and breathing in in your Hindu scriptures, God, Brahma, breathes out and breathes in the universe. That's a nice uh, metaphor or myth. I, you know, if I think in English about this important question, then where does it all come from or something? I don't mind using the word God because at least it's an English word. Otherwise, I have to use a word like shunyata, which I don't want to translate as emptiness because it's much more effulgent or full emptiness or luminous void. Um, many say, you know, it all comes from God and returns to God and is in God and is never separate from God. So I think that there's a lot to chew on there. If you don't like the word God, you can do it the way um, like some Buddhists do. You can say it all comes from the guru or Buddha, and it's all the Buddhas, the gurus' um, lessons for you, or, or dance or something, like Maya Leela in Hinduism. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but you can ask questions. It's a very interesting uh, subject. I like the it all comes from God because I think of us all as like God's pseudopods, false appendages, you know, like amoebas, but they're not separate from God. Like the appendages, they're not separate from the main body of the amoeba. Even a one-celled animal, the oneness, has pseudopods. That's all I can remember about biology, so I'm going to sit down now. So we've covered a bunch of different things today, and um, there's a few other things that we could cover, but I would like to uh, open the floor again to questions, because I find that that's very helpful. Um, I do think, and I want to make a pitch again for us being um, discriminating and discerning and attentive and vigilant that our practice, our mindfulness, our meditation, our yoga, our prayer, 
or whatever we do is meaningful and, uh, and potent and productive and not just going through the motions that we have a little learning as well as practice so we know what we're doing, not just doing. Learning how is good and supportive for the experiential doing, but not becoming walking encyclopedias, but we're so much in the intellectual learning and in our upbringing. The experiential practices like yoga and meditation are very important for us today. But still a little learning goes a long way to empower and enhance those practices so we know what we're doing. And, you know, can ask questions and clarify as we go along. You can't get all the questions clarified at the beginning because you haven't had them yet, really, if you know what I'm saying, of a journey, of a practice. So it's good to call the helpline and have a helpline and keep that number with you or whatever it is, that URL, that whatever it is, that lifeline. And not, well, as I was saying, mindfulness has more aspects than just paying attention. Also, the friendly appreciation, the loving kindness, the, the beneficent view on things, and the interest, like curious or investigative, like penetrating side, the wisdom side also there, not just mental floss to calm and clear our minds temporarily. And yoga, if we do mindful yoga, will be much enhanced and empowered. And many of my yoga-doing friends, uh, you know, not my friends so much, but people, new friends who are doing yoga, even for years, they say, we do yoga, we don't meditate. So I said, oh, that's interesting. Don't they have a chant at the beginning or like lie in the corpse pose at the end? I said, oh, yeah. So the corpse pose is meditation, five minutes, ten minutes of meditation. Of course, it might also be snoring or dream yoga, but in general, that's the meditation part. And sitting in the asana is, is, you know, that's the point. Just being in the asana, that's the meditation, that's the being here now part. Being aware, mindful rather than mindless in the asana, not just sitting there and thinking about other things. Yoga means union, not calisthenics. Mindfulness means soulfulness, not just stuffed head. I think this is very important for us to remember and to carry forth as mindfulness becomes more accessible and popular in our rather uh, reductionistic, commercializing culture today. Any questions or sharing, please? Yes, sir. We got a live one here. Thank you. Um, one of the main reasons I came here is the blurb about the day um, where you described the, the frenzy and the frenetic life that we all, many of us lead. And it described me exactly. I said, that is me. And, and, and then to your point a little bit earlier about time, I'm sure I'm not the only one in this room where my work requires, from the moment I get up until I finally get home, just this overwhelming degree of multitasking and stimulation and two computer screens and just responding to this and responding to that, where you're just at the end of the day just completely. The answer to the question for me is probably this isn't the right job, but in the meantime. Well, that's one question. In the meantime. You, know, you said from the time you get up means before you go to the bathroom, brush your teeth or drink your. No, no, there are many, whatever. many. I, I, I fortunately, I, there are many, many moments during the day where I create these those moments of mindfulness. I mean, my, my lunch break is one of them. I go sit by the water yeah, and I fantastic. just experience space and let my mind relax. And I do that all the time. But 
but in general, it's just it's too much. It just it 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 just is painfully too much stimulation on a regular basis. So it's not sustainable. So I'm not sure. I think I'm not sure if there's a question here exactly. It's just um, unsustainable is a big problem. It's good to recognize. So yeah. you're partly there. Yeah. I don't know what, yet what to do about it, but it's a, you yeah. Know, because you know, unsustainable leads to all kinds of problems, including burnout and illness exactly. and breakdown and family breakdown and other things. I don't need to tell you. Exactly. Not just, not just mistakes at work. Exactly. So I'm not sure this is a question or just a confession. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> You're absolved. Thank you. We're all like that. I was afraid you were going to say that after reading that blurb and promising right. to be all peaceful that this has been a whole day of agitated tirades yeah. no. and busy talk and t mental activity. Yeah, yeah. No, it's been a, been a great day. And, uh, I, hope so. I know Thank the answer you. to the question. It, it, it is you may or may not so. be in the right job, but you know, you're allowed to change out of mm -hmm. things, but also it's good to, to work on seeing, framing, seeing, doing them different, the same things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Before you quit or some change. Yeah. Like I said, do you really have to have your computer screen on and check in the minute you wake up? Or do you have a half an hour, an hour, two hours before that? Yeah. So even holding it in mind that way determines whether you resent it or you realize it. Like you also said, you have time during the day to sit by the lake. So a lot of people don't take a lunch break. They don't have that. Mm -hmm. So spiritual counselors and pastors always say count your blessings mm -hmm. you also have some blessings in mm -hmm. there like you can say you know first we complain and then we can also say and i am much blessed mm -hmm. not just a pollyanna but because it's true you mm -hmm. yourself mm -hmm. you know it slipped out that you had a one hour lunch break by the by the lake mm -hmm. yeah no and there are many great m moments and you it is you know breaking it up it's just it, it it's just a personal obviously for all of yeah. us just a personal decision if it's if it's too if it weighs too heavily in one direction whether right. it's right a balance so, yeah. and all. but you yeah. also said uh, you were one of the first mm -hmm. people to speak up today i think mm -hmm. and you talked about um hyper mm -hmm. energetic activity so mm -hmm. maybe you take on everything mm. in that way you know peak performance yeah. Yeah. like you know I don't know. Some people only have, seem to have two gears, like yeah. Highway Fifth yeah. or Idle Breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there are other gears. <laughs> I've heard. Right. No, I, th I think you, you you know me pretty well already. So. Well, I'm just reading your right. aura. Exactly. Well, <laughs> <laughs> <not> it's that <laughs> obvious, huh? <laughs> now we're all very much similar, yeah. but you gave away some clues also about yeah. your hyper energy activities and being riveted, and you like that feeling because it's coherent you're like mm -hmm. so i don't know what you're doing rock mm -hmm. climbing or some you know marathoning mm -hmm. but you know mm -hmm. you're just totally there and everything else falls away so mm -hmm. we could do that in meditation or in yoga or in other even simple ways yeah you know like smelling a flower or listening to a few beats of music yeah you know da 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 <laughs> it's just there's so much there yeah and in between those four notes you know it's like yeah, just if you attend to mm -hmm. it, if you have your full awareness on it, that's what I say. You could look at the carpet all day, because it's an infinite. You know, like your electron microscope attention starts to open things up, and not just thinking about it, but in a way, yeah. it's almost moving because it is. You may may not see the electrons, you know, but yeah. Well, I think I awareness just, is ecstatic, yeah. not static. Yeah, I just need more. I need more. I, I think I'm. You read. I, I'm so inclined towards that frenetic hypervigilance 
that I need the, and the job creates that in me. So it's per, you know, so I'm, yeah. I'm speeding along. Yeah. So I need, I need more of the time to be able to sit my hour, you know, my Zen or whatever it yeah. is. Right. And this job requires, so I don't have that. Some people. Well, you have so, your hour of lake lunch. Yeah, that helps. It's not enough. No, sure. It's not enough. So can I give you a personal tip since we're alone here? And you know. Thank you. <laughs> Whenever you hear in your mind you need more, replace it with the word less. I know this is counterintuitive. Just try. You replace it with the word less. I need less. It might, it might help. I don't know. In my book on time, there's so much... You know, there's a lot of pages in there. There's really... You know, anybody here write books? You know, there's all kinds of stuff in there. Like, one of my great brilliant ideas was when you're on the grocer, in the grocery store, you know, when you're in Whole, page, Whole Foods, then you, you know, go on the longest line for once and just relax. And I can't tell you how many people picked that one thing out of the book and told me how great that was <laughs> to slow them down. I, I said, wow, thank you, that's great, but I never do it. <laughs> I just thought you try it, you know, like experiment. <laughs> because it takes the rush away. It's counterintuitive. So I'm not joking about this. Whenever you hear more, you think less. Like maybe you don't need more of your one hour and ten zen sits. Maybe you need less of those and a few more five or ten minute looking at the lakes during coffee breaks instead of waiting for the pot of gold at the end of the week on Sunday, one hour Zen sit with nobody bothering me. Question or sharing? Anybody we haven't heard from? Yes, young man over here. Rowing club. Um, my question is about like intellectual study and the balance between that and practice, like um, just with your own mind. Seems like, especially in Tibetan Buddhism, there's this, you know, scholarly, huge yeah. scholarly well, tradition. Well, it's an ancient tradition. So yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there. and and so may, I, I feel like you might be in a really good position to to address that of like the benefits of that, but perhaps you know the pitfalls. Just that. Well, most of the traditions have that that big background and underpinnings, not just Tibetan Buddhism, right? The Pali scriptures and you know this voluminous Zen writings and stories and koans, I mean, you know. But it's, Tibetan Buddhism is very, um, it's, it's like Judaism. There's comments on comments on comments, you know. There really is. And people love that, like the Dalai Lama loves that. But he's a philosopher, and he's in the school that emphasizes philosophy, as well as yoga, meditation, good works, etc., some others are more in the yogi school, so they emphasize more physical and less of the intellectual, theoretical. Some are more in the devotional school of Tibetan Buddhism, and they emphasize more of the guru yoga and devotion, turning emotion into devotion to lead you beyond yourself, etc. So how much you have to study that is kind of up, partly up to you, like what lifestyle you have. Are you in Tibetan Buddhism, since you're asking about that? No. No, but I. So, what are you I'm in? Super do you study it a lot? Super no, intellectual. And, and and I feel like at times I have been, you know, I've seen myself be like, oh, I'm going to think about it, and like just like very thinky, thinky, thinky. Yeah. Well, 
Are you a meditator or are you new at this? What kind of meditation do you usually do? Does um, it have a name? No. So how'd you learn it? Just give me a clue, no. man. Yeah, I, the, <laughs> spirit rock meditation. Throw me a bone. <laughs> you heard of spirit rock? I go there a yeah. lot. You go there? Yeah. It's a good to go there. <laughs> so you do mindfulness and loving yeah. kindness probably. Yeah. Right. So have you studied much about Theravada Buddhism with your thinky blinky? No, that was more when I was into Zen. And then, yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, as I mentioned before, since we have 20 or 30 years of intellectual education, muchly, not entirely, maybe it would be good to balance that with, you know, two or five or 20 years of experiential learning and get both sides of the brain together, not just the le left, rational, conceptual. But that doesn't mean you have to shun that entirely, be anti-intellectual for 20 years. I'm not suggesting that. Maybe also, you know, you have assets in that department that you could use very well in the spiritual pursuit. But just don't, like I was saying, become an encyclopedia of Buddhism. That's contraindicated. Trungpa used to say, why read books unless you get paid for it? I mean, he was very, you know, I know I said before, he was very practical. He said, that's just like dancing on books. Why read books unless you get paid for it? Ramdas used to have a, a, a Volkswagen van in India that was full of books. He was a professor at Harvard, right? And he studied all the world religions, psychology, philosophies. So we loved it because we all used to steal, uh, borrow them. And, uh, but he would drive around India and wherever he was. He had the spiritual library. In those days, in the 1970s, there was no internet. You couldn't get good translations. And... You know, but it was also kind of a joke. It was a lot of extra baggage in India, where you don't want to drive ever at all. <laughs> so that's kind of us uh, carrying around our, our our Buddhist books. But then I do. I love it. Look at the size of my handbag. But I'm like you. I you know like writing and writing and philosophy and intellectual, but there's more to life than that. I'm sure you know, you're an intelligent young man. So learn what you need to know so you can get on with it in various ways. Well-rounded, grounded spiritual life and beautiful personhood. And then pass it paid forward, as they say. Questions? Anybody we haven't heard from? Yes, in the back there. When I was uh, young and in college, I really liked um, Spinoza. You asked Western. And I don't know if Jung is a philosopher, but I liked uh, Jung was kind of mythological, philosophical, psychological. Spinoza, very interesting. Uh, Plotinus. Um, I guess I liked so, uh, the Socratic method that I found in Plato and Aristotle, you know, Plato, the lineage of so Socrates and Plato, and I guess Aristotle. Later, I got more into Eastern thought and Eastern philosophy. So, I, I mean, I, I guess when I was in college, I was somewhat immature and I liked the philosophy of Nietzsche. 
I mean, Nietzsche is very interesting, but he's also a little one-sided, you know, the Superman and all. Also, it didn't do him any good in life, if you know what I'm saying. So I like something that, you know, philosophy seems to be about lo the love of truth and, and, and having a better life and sharing a better life. So I'd like to see a better end for a philosopher or any of us than going crazy and, you know, sitting in the street crying and hugging the head of a horse. Great as Nietzsche's uh, writings can be. So I hope that's helpful. So for you, are you a philosophy type or what? No, but I mean, you like reading and thinking about those things? Yeah, so I recommend The Tao Te Ching, translated by Stephen Mitchell. It's one of the good translations. It's like the uber philosophy. I think it's the wisest book in the world, but that's just I'm just throwing one out. The Tao Te Ching, translated by Stephen Mitchell. Every translation is different. I mean, there were other things. Questions? Who haven't we heard from? Anybody over there? We ignore Nessa. Charlie. Yes, you've been very patient. <clears throat> I, I, uh, uh, my practice and my teaching are both in a very secular environment. And I'm just, I just want to hear you talk a little about how you would present the full depth of mindfulness in secular terms in a secular setting where we can't just refer back to the Sangha and the, the traditions. Right. In, in, I in think Buddhist. like I did today, but with less foreign words and religious concepts, it's not that hard. Like I've taught in business environments on the six paramitas under the rubric of principles of enlightened leadership. It's not that hard. Visionary and discipline and aspiration and, you know, empowerment and stuff like that. A higher education, wisdom education, bring out the best in us, adducing the best in us, blah, blah, blah. It's not that hard. But of course, what really where it comes down to is how you answer the questions and where people, you know, can you connect with the um, listeners, which is the point. Well, like yes. attention span and concentration and mastery, being master rather than victim of circumstances and conditions. These are great, important lessons we don't hear enough about. Yeah. No, I, I think that's an important way for this work to go because the people who are going to gather yeah. at a place like Spirit right. Rock are pretty, yeah. a pretty select group yes. and not, not necessarily the people who we right. really have to get to if we're going to see yeah. the improvement in the world that we're after. Thank you. I don't know if I entirely agree with the last part of what you said, but I'll let you go because you're a good guy. I'll give you a pass. <laughs> no, yes, this is a very selective audience. And of course, this is a Buddhist center. And I'm a Lama Suryadas, not a person with a, um, a Western name. So it's already a selective, you know, self-selected audience of spiritual people. But some have a great impact here. You know, and I, and I, too, am thinking about having impact on people of impact, therefore mainstreaming and so forth. But there are moles here that maybe you don't know who. <laughs> like, I, I was just at lunch in the yurt, which makes your point, in the yurt with the other Buddhist teachers who were leading the two-month retreat, Jamie Baraz and Guy Armstrong and so on. So we were lunching in the, in the yurt. And, um, but Jamie was saying that he just taught at Omega, and Bill and Melinda Gates came and sat through his whole weekend on a joyful awakening. 
so these things are going on even at, you know, Hippie Camp Omega, which is like here in, over in the Catskills, let's say. But yes, I know you uh, come through law school and you probably you're thinking of the law school and the business community and secular contemplative practices. I think it's very, very, very important and exciting and research and development in that area, very important and mentoring and everything we're talking about. Bring, I'm going to keep saying it, bring the higher back into higher education, not just vocational training. I live near Cambridge, Massachusetts, so I like to walk through Harvard Yard and rub shoulders with those people and kind of try to raise my IQ. <laughs> and it says in st the stone gate there, enter here ye who seek wisdom. And I like want to know which class is teaching wisdom, not the philosophy classes I used to go to. Not that it's not there, but you know my point. Bring the higher back into higher education, because I don't care about higher education. The kids, the next generations, and the world, and education, obviously, is the silver bullet. And character development, not just Sheila, morality, character development, menschkeit, whatever we're going to call it in the new generations. So bully for you. Thank you for what you're doing and all the sail with you. Yes, young lady over here. Please wait for the mic so others can hear. I think the attention issues, Charlie, in our society needs to be researched and developed more. And I don't say meditation instead of medication for kids with ADHD, but meditation and medication, and attention span and meditation gain. Get rid of the word meditation even. Mindfulness is a good word, awareness. But when people tell me they're working for a mindful society, I think we've gone too far. Why not a wise society? Why not a, a loving society? Why not a peaceful society? I mean, mindful is our brand name, but the, is that really the ultimate value? I mean, it's kind of the means. It's not the end. Anyway, it's one of my pet peeves. Yes. Well, why not call? Why don't we work to an enlightened society? That's what I'm saying. A, a peaceful society, using mindfulness and other techniques. That's all I'm saying. Also, the word mind. You know, us Buddhists are very mental. I'm not saying we have to say heart mind every time we speak or he she every, every time we use the the male pronoun. But we, uh, the language gets very mental, too, which I'm not, you know, being raised Jewish on my parents' side, as Ramdas says. <laughs> the Judeo-Christian tradition has become so rational and mental, and so much of the mysticism driven underground. I think we could be careful about that. So thank you for my last tirade and pitch. And thank you all for being, and for being so beautiful. I mean that. Thank you. God bless. As we say, Buddha blessed. Thank you.